Hi, guys. Hey, squad. What's going on? You crazy kids. You guys never respond to us when we ask you how you're doing, and it's really I would rude. puke in fear if a voice ever came <laughs> through my headphones and was like, oh, we're good. We're good, guys. Thanks for asking. I'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> I just got the image of that Bob's Burgers episode where they're at the concert and the girl goes, boys, where? <laughs> Puking I think that's fear. the moment I fell in love with that show. I remember we lost it. We were in college and we were watching it in my room and we absolutely... Boys, where? We that would happen to you, though. Not not that part, but the um, ghost, just because, like, you're in a, a classic old home. Um, I have waited to see a ghost my whole life. And besides that, like, one weird encounter I told you about in that graveyard, mm. that's it. And it wasn't... It was some wind. <laughs> literally a little wind <laughs> but it pointed me in the right direction my favorite thing to do in a new group of like people i don't know is to find out who believes in ghosts if you say to like a big group hey do any of you have like a ghost story or like a ghost encounter usually they're like everyone kind of laughs and then there's one person who's like and then you take that person aside you grab them a glass of wine and you're like tell me your fucking story and it it can range from the benign to like, oh, the day of my grandma's funeral, we were all like standing around like in the house and one of her lights like blinked on and off twice at the time that she normally had her tea. Those are my least favorite. But then every once in a while, there's like, a oh, I grew up on a haunted house and there used to be like a fanged boy who watched me from the window every Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shit I love. A fanged boy. A fanged boy. <laughs> a fanged boy. <laughs> And I'm not picturing vampire fangs. I'm picturing like saber tooth fangs. <laughs> well, guys, so it's been a massive. We're recording this on Saturday, May 20th. I was like, what day is it? Um, but this past week on Wednesday was the Vanderpump Rules season finale. <sighs> and that episode, it was covering everything that they recorded on March 6th. The week after, no, wait, March 6th, March 3rd. I keep calling it March 6th and I have no clue why. Mar- March 3rd. And that was filmed the week that Scandaball broke. So Brittany has kindly, oh generously asked me to recap it. Please. I don't know, by the way, as a Bravo fan for many years, I have no clue why this is making like big news. Like one of the characters was just named the number one guy in the group by Time Magazine. This is everywhere. Like, I've obviously I've heard about it and I'm not in Bravo land, but I keep seeing people being like, okay, if I'm going to start Vanderpump Rules, where do I start? It's been on 10 years. What do I do? And I just see people being like, you need to start from the beginning to really get it. So I like people I, I know are just like binging VPR. Why is it called VPR? I assume Vanderpump is one word. It is one word. I've actually, that's a good question. I think it's just because VR, I don't know, maybe because it sounds too close to virtual VR. reality. Three initial sounds better, like SVU. <laughs> that's a good way to tie it in. <laughs> I can make anything about Special Victims Unit. That's my skill. But anyway, we're not there yet. Tell me everything. Okay, so March 1st, 2023, Sheena Shea and Raquel Levis also known as Rachel, that's her real name, are on Watch What Happens Live in New York City. At the same time, literally the same night, Tom Sandoval and Ariana Maddox, who have been dating for nine years, are at Tom Tom, which is one of Tom's bars. His phone drops out of his pocket during the performance. Someone on stage picks it up and hands it to Ariana. So Ariana says in this episode, 
She goes, I don't really know what it was. Woman's intuition, whatever. But also then she reveals like on the after show that she had been like suspecting him of doing something for months. She opened up his camera roll and she finds a video of Raquel and Tom FaceTiming each other. And I'm sure you can use your imagination doing things at Tom Sandoval's best friend, Tom Schwartz's house. Ew. Ew. Uh, and also, just a quick recap, Raquel and Ariana are very close at this point. They didn't, Raquel didn't start the show, but over the past, like, three years, Raquel has gotten super close with Ariana and Tom. So, Ariana, it's like best friend status, you know, like, super close, like, we are with our lady friends. Ariana calls Raquel, and at this point, she is done filming Watch What Happens Live with Sheena, but she's with Sheena at Watch What, Watch what Happens Live. Ariana calls Raquel and says, if you've had any respect for me. This whole time we've been friends. You tell me what the fuck is going on. And Raquel just like spills in. She says that they've been having an affair for seven months. Then Sheena, she so all this is happening in New York. And Sheena goes to Raquel, what's going on? And Sheena and Ariana are best friends. And so in Sheena's confessional, she goes, Raquel turns to me and just nonchalantly goes, oh yeah, Tom and I have been having an affair for seven months. And Ariana just found out. And she's really mad at me. It just, yeah, that's what she did. She was like, what? Sheena started freaking out, crying, because she's been defending this girl, too. Like, everyone hated mm-hmm. this bitch. And Ariana and Sheena, and, of course, the Toms, the worthless-ass Toms, were the only... If you said Raquel go away, these four people would go, no, stop it, don't be mean to her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because she was, like, this, like, sweet, nice... Like, she just plays that card where she doesn't, like, yell or anything, and so everyone thinks she's suddenly a good person. Is she an Aquarius? We looked this up, like, when this originally broke. She's a Virgo, which is shocking. Oh, okay. Sheena, I think, starts freaking out at Watch What Happens Live just right after Raquel tells her this. Raquel, like, goes to grab her and be like, Sheena, don't run away from me. And Sheena go- Sheena said later in the episode, she goes, I was so angry that I just shoved her. And she's got these long-ass nails. They're, like, this long. Like, Chloe Kardashian nails. Okay. And so one of the nails caught Raquel, just kind of nicked her, I guess. Because Raquel also on the show is well-known at this point for chasing people around. So, like... One person will go, okay, Raquel, leave me alone. Go away and stop hassling me about, like, trying to fuck my boyfriend. That's a whole other thing. And she'll follow them. And it's very, like, the, the final episode was so frustrating for that reason. Because you wanted to be like, oh, my God, just, like, I want to hit you and I'm not even there. Like, the way you're following me. So I can imagine Sheena was, like, done at that. She was just like, get the fuck off me. So that happens. Tom and Ariana are having a conversation on March 3rd. So this is, like, two days after. And this is also the day that it got okay. leaked. So... I'm wondering who leaked it. I'm wondering if Ariana, if it were me, I'd get my own. I'd get my payday from TMZ. I'd be like, hey, TMZ, you want to hear some shit? Oh, oh, yeah, I would. I would leak it. I'd be like, it's going to come out and might as well spin my own story. Bye. Tom comes in and he explains basically that this all started. I'm not going to like recap it. Obviously, but I'm going to tell you like kind of the ins and outs. So what was revealed in this episode was that this whole affair began somewhere in August like kind of mid-August after this one episode they filmed that we got to see and it was called Girls Night so they Tom and Raquel like kissed that night it was alleged at first but then Tom revealed that apparently that same night they fucked in his car Ooh, that's nasty and it was the same night kid you not the same night Ariana's dog had to be put down and they both knew that like Ariana had to leave the girls trip because her dog was dying and they both knew that. And they fucked the same night. Yeah, I know. So 
the story kind of changes between Tom and Raquel change the story kind of like as they go. Um, so on the one hand in the episode, you were hearing like, OK, that didn't happen, but it did have Tom said it did happen. There was other things. So we don't really know because then he said we only had sex that one time. But then Raquel told Sheena they've been having a months long affair. I know you could have emotional affairs, but like then later on in the episode, because then he start. Well, so that conversation basically um, between Ariana and Tom, they broke up. You know, she basically she, she like read him to filth. She was like, you are nothing to me. You're worthless. I regret ever loving you. Um, you <laughs> allowed this girl who finds like her identity in men and like making other women jealous because that was her whole plot line on the season was like she kept accusing everyone of being jealous of her and it was like borderline I was like this is getting weird like you're you're doing something wrong and then when people react to it you go you're jealous it's like you know we've all met a Raquel though yes and I think that's why everyone's so frustrated and disturbed by this because it could really happen to anybody like these people exist and it's not demonizing because everyone's like oh they're like coming after Raquel more than they are Tom and I'm like no right it's because that was her best friend if it had been some woman random woman off the street it would have been bad enough but it was her best friend and her best friend knew Raquel's whole reasoning for this when the producers asked her and by the way when the producers asked her she's making this face like it was it was unhinged <laughs> it was severely unhinged and they're like why did you do this Raquel and she was like well I've never been intimate with someone I love before and I knew that we loved each other as friends. And so I wanted to know what it would feel like to have sex with someone I love. And I just couldn't control my urge to do that. Wow. So every time, every time these two assholes try to defend themselves. They it's sound like, worse. It sounds worse. Like Tom has changed his story the whole episode. Every time, every time he talked to anybody, it changed. So when he was talking to Ariana, he accused her. And he accused her to other people. He said that the reason why he wouldn't break up with her sooner is that she wouldn't let him if that's not true that is a fucking heinous thing to say she has she has ideations before so so it's not true but he said that based on the fact that he could blame it on the fact that she's trash throw yeah throw throw the whole man away dumpster throw the whole man away dumpster's too good like a trash fire disgusting disgusting behavior disgusting and Ariana handled it so well. Like, I would have lost it. I would have been like, how dare you? And people have been saying they're like, most likely what she did, most likely when that, if that moment happened, what really happened was he probably tried to break up with her for like dumb reasons. He was probably like, oh, like, we don't hang out as much. And then she probably said, I'm not going to let you end the relationship over something we can fix. He probably wasn't saying anything. Like, she was probably not arguing with him. She was probably saying, we can fix this. So I'm not going to just let you like, you know, Bro up our whole we own a home together you know like like we could fix that. i can see him like trying to i like how i'm like haven't watched any of this and i'm like listen here but i can see him not breaking up with her but saying things like oh like i feel like we're growing apart and maybe we should spend some like not directly being like hey i think we should break up just kind of like making like lame comments where in his mind he's breaking up with her and she's like okay well these are all things we can work on so why don't we work on them before we you are absolutely right. That's kind of how that's exactly what was going Ugh. on. And she said when he brought it up and was like, you wouldn't let me. And you were like, you know, threatening things. And she goes, Tom, if that were true, you should have left that night. Like, because that's true. Mental illness or not, that's not. And safe. that's abuse. It is abusive. And so she was saying that she goes, you should have left that night. She goes, if that was true, if I was doing that, that well, that just proved that it yeah. wasn't. 
And then something he said to his friend, the asshole other Tom, that I won't even get into that, but he was like, because then his other thing was that she knew. She saw the signs. She saw the signs the whole time. She knew, like, she was going through his phone and stuff. But, like, um, and then at one point she was like, I mean, like, life is beautiful. So this completely discounts what he said about how it only happened one time, the sex thing, and it was all emotional. He goes, well, after the Life is Beautiful show, which is, like, a festival in L.A., I said I was going to Schwartz's, but then I, I went to, she could have just followed me in her car, but she didn't. She would have seen I wasn't going to your house. She was saying this to Tom. And Tom goes, yeah, let's not um, put that on. That's not like, <laughs> like, so it's her fault that she didn't do more research. And then you would have gaslit her if she was following you around. You would have been like, how dare you follow me, you crazy person? Like, that's my mind blowing up. Can, the audacity. Like, can you imagine fighting with him? With that logic, you can't win. There's no winning. That is pathological. So then, because that's kind of the the gist of it. Like, obviously, you've been seeing the like st- like the snippets and everything. So the gist of it is kind of all these mm-hmm. lies in between and their explanations for it. Like, because we know now Ariana's done with him. He's still in the house. They're working on that because um, he refuses to leave because he's a big oh fucking baby. And the, both their names are probably on it. So then there's a scene with Raquel and Tom coming together. And we're all so upset about this. We're just like, oh, my God, I both need this scene, but I also wish I could light this scene aflame. So the entire time, Raquel is smiling manically. She's just like, (laughs) oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. So then they add a shot together and Tom goes, cheers to going to hell where we belong. And Raquel goes, I mean, I don't think we belong in hell. We're just two people who were friends and had feelings for each other and acted on it. And every time she does anything, including on the show, this was her defense. It was always, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I'm just being young and free and living my life. And like, it's just so strange. She seems to think that's a real excuse. It's crazy. It's it's sort of, I, I know millennials overuse gaslight, but it's, I felt gaslit watching it because I'm like, she's talking like this is not a big deal and it's making me crazy. So then she has the audacity. She goes, you know, I just, all of this has really blown up on me. And like, I feel like all I have, oh, the only people I have in my life to support me are my parents, my sister and you. And everyone's like, what? That's like a good thing. What do you, like some people don't even have that, you crazy person. She's like, I have no friends anymore. Yeah. So she goes, well, even you, like I was thinking about it. If it was so easy for you to cheat on Ariana, someone you love and have been with forever, um, are you going to do that to me? Yes. He did it with you. And yes. Sweetie, have you never attended the Khloe Kardashian school of getting and losing a man? True. Sorry, Khloe. She's catching a lot of strays this episode. She's the example of like, if Ariana stayed, that would be Mm -hmm. that. It's like, yeah, well, I don't know what you're expecting. And then you post a bunch of like, you know, fucking story things being like, time will heal beautiful women. And it's just like, wait. (laughs) (laughs) But it's crazy because Raquel is like, you know, basically she's saying like, I mean, this really sucks for her. You're going to do that to me because that sucks. You did that to her. You both did that to her. I'm texting time will heal beautiful women to you because it needs to be on something. That could be the title. Basically, kind of how that ended is he says to her, I would never do that to you. I wouldn't have risked everything I risked if it wasn't special to me. But then he also says in his confessional, he's like, I don't know if it will work out between me and Raquel. Maybe something, you know, in the future. But his whole thing, I also kept, I I left out that to every single person he's gone to, 
he goes, Raquel and I developed a deep connection. And, and like he gets mad. Like at one point, you've probably seen the clip of Ariana going, I don't give a fuck about fucking Raquel. Your friendship is bullshit. And he goes, no, it's not. You don't know everything. Oh my God. It's just so sad because I mean, I've seen people come out of scandals like this eventually kind of looking okay. And they seem not okay, but people forget about it. Right. But they're just doubling down. If I were Raquel, even if I didn't mean it, I'd be like, I'm a monster. And the only reason I'm still with him is because we went through this together. I know it might not make sense to you guys. Instead of being like, he, 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 I can't believe this is happening for us. And that's exactly, she's just like, oh my God, it's so crazy. Everyone's so mad. It's like, what? Like, that is the attitude. And so ahead of all of this, she has been posting mental health stuff. Oh, my mental health, my weaponizing it. Just turn your comments off and shut up. Just say sorry and shut up. It's not fair. And it's not fair to someone like Ariana who has real mental health struggles that were then used against her. And then, of course, Tom was defending Raquel being like, TMZ was following him around or whatever. And he was like, Raquel is in a mental health facility getting help. And he's like all upset that everyone's like on her. And I'm like, really? Because you went on the Howie Mandel show. Rest in peace, Howie Mandel's career after that interview. (laughs) The whole thing is just a shit show for them. And they are not apologetic. They do not think they did anything wrong. They think that we're all be. They think we're all blowing an affair out of proportion. But what I think why I think it's been picked up by all these outlets, why it's so bad is the element of. They were together for nine years. It was essentially a marriage without a certificate, thank God. Mm -hmm. And it was her best, one of her closest best friends. So it's the evil of it really reaches everybody because everyone's got a, you know, a significant other and everyone's got a best friend. Not everyone. You know what I mean? But it's like. You have these kinds of close relationships that you would be very betrayed if, God forbid, two of the people you trust went behind your back in such a way. Right. And then continue to really just treat it like you're the bad person, you know, and you should have known and you should have been having sex with him. And even though she she offered because the whole thing he kept saying too, like for years, we don't have sex. We don't have sex. She's got issues with her body. She's been very open about that. She was in an abusive relationship uh, years ago. So don't get into a relationship with somebody who has trauma. And if he you can't could have it. left at any time. Thank you. Cheating is not. I've been there too, okay? I've been in things where you're like, I'm not getting what I need, and I stayed, and it was not, it, it didn't get better. You know what I mean? It, just, it doesn't improve, and so if you can't change what you don't like about a relationship, you need to leave. You don't stay and cheat and make it worse. That's just crazy, unless you really want to hurt that person, and that's what's crazy too. It's like, if you didn't want to hurt her, as you both seem to keep saying, you wouldn't have done this, but I would do it to somebody that I want to get back at. I'd be like, oh yeah, this guy's like worst fear is me cheating, and I hate him for whatever reason, and I'm an evil person. I'm going to go out and fuck his best friend. Wow. And so then, watch what happened. Lives happened, right? Yes. So Ariana made her first appearance uh, on Watch What Happens Live at, to discuss the scandal because we also had to get to the interview or the interview, the reunion. And that's I can't wait. That's happening this Wednesday. Oh, oh OK. I thought Watch What Happens Live was the reunion. It's sort of a reunion with Ariana because she has remained mostly silent. Like she's been out living her best life, having sex with a hot trainer at Coachella. Well, not at Coachella, but mm. I hope at Coachella. Booked and busy, you know, because she is now she is the face of our struggle as humans just with you know like you you go through these things it's fucking thankless you support this 40 year old man he's 40 yes uh that's even worse and he kept saying that too on the show he was like 
I'm having a midlife crisis. He he cited that a lot. He kept being like, you know, and then I kissed Raquel, who's 28, and I felt like maybe I'm not washed up. I thought they were both, not based on his looks, because I've only, first of all, that that boy's had a lot of work done. Um, I figured maybe he started in his early 20s and was maybe in his early 30s, which isn't an excuse. But 40, you are a whole grown ass man. Just the final episode. So like the one that just aired. Um, you can see in that, knowing nothing about him, just the way he defends himself. You're like, this is crazy. Like your, your logic in all of this is wild. But so not Watch What Happens Live, um, we didn't get too much more from Ariana because we have to wait for the reunion. Um, but she did confirm because, oh, the same day. How could I forget this? So last, the Wednesday that just happened is how I described last Wednesday. The Wednesday that just happened where the finale aired, that morning, Raquel and Tom Sandoval revealed that they have broken up. Wow, shocking. Andy asked Ariana on Watch What Happens Live. He was like, did you hear that Tom and like Raquel have alleged to break up? She goes, yeah, I don't believe that because she just sent him a letter from wherever she is the other day. She goes, because they still live in the house together. So she picked up the mail and there was a letter from Raquel. Again, shameless. That's so funny. I would have bought that they'd broken up just because a relationship like that thrives a lot on the secrecy and the drama. And once that starts to fade, it's. You're left with a shit person and you're like, oh, oh, okay. And this girl, Raquel, and I know like, well, we don't have enough listeners for us to receive hate. So I, but like, yet (laughs) she's one of those humans that just doesn't really have a personality. Mm -hmm. Like you might get chunks of, you might get like one funny comment out of her. She's not interesting and she does thrive on attention from others. Like this whole season that just happened, the whole thing is just an egg roll of how how could you fucking how fucking could you Ugh, so that's scandal i will have more updates in in three weeks basically i mean like for the next three weeks i'll have updates because it's a three-part reunion oh my yeah. god mm, maybe i'll mm, watch mm, and then mm, i can mm, ha- have dumb questions like what that that would be fun because then i could explain it Ooh, to okay. you done done getting into the episode um we were given another kind of easy one after a very hard one and i like this pattern i like this pattern of they torture us with a really sad, very, like, disturbing plot line. And then we get one that's kind of like, huh. Yeah. This is very much, to me, a sp- I feel like it, in every episode, this one's a spiritual successor of, because I love the term spiritual successor. But this is very, minus the bondage, uh, stocks and bondage. I had that, too. I said it's stocks and bondage and a little bit of entitled, because everyone's awful and no one's job makes sense. And everyone's entitled. <laughs> No one's interesting. So it's like everyone sucks, but no one's interesting. So it's kind of like like Virginia Hayes, RIP to that episode, sucked, but she was interesting. So like she sucked it away, but I was like, oh my God, I could talk about her forever. Tell me more. But these people like suck, but like no one sucks enough for us to go on like a tangent. <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I mostly just have like rude things to say about them. My notes are a little... They're not bad, but like I got a little lazy with some of the details just because I was like, I'm not writing down all of these details about your fucking endowment. It makes because none of it, it doesn't have anything to do with how this person died. Oh, we'll see in my notes. I wrote blah, blah, blah. I literally <laughs> wrote that. I was like, I'm not writing this down. This is fake. This episode is called, well, it's, in case you were wondering, Law and Order SVU season one. I'm pretty sure this is episode 17 because now I think we're two behind because we did the Cassidy episode, Miss Leader. The original air date is March 31st, 2000, and it was directed by Richard Dobbs. Done, done. So today is Sunday, February 6th, and I wrote, what the fuck? 
because last episode, it was February 14th, and we were at a trial on February 21st, because I remember I shouted out my mom's 41st birthday. So I don't care anymore. I'm telling you, the timeline resets every episode. Uh, So we're at a hotel, and a woman from housekeeping enters and calls out to see if anyone is in there. She walks around the room, and she's speaking Spanish to herself. I did cop that she said the word sucio, which I believe means dirty. Well, she's kind of a little disgusted as she's, like, she's picking stuff up, and you can see her shaking her head. She's like, oh, you trash this place. Gross. She enters the bedroom area, and it's a huge hotel room, I wrote, because there's, like, a massive, it's, like, a whole living room and then a bedroom. Oh, yeah, there's a sitting room and then a bedroom. And she finds a woman laying on the bed and she kind of takes a moment. She realizes something is wrong. And then she like really realizes this woman is dead. Uh, and this woman is in underwear. So the victim's in underwear. And so they called SVU because underwear is. Yes. I know. I literally wrote down. I'm like, I love how they're like, oh, SVU is kind of the underpants police. And if there are underpants at a scene and you don't call them, they get really mad. We find out this episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. We find out that there's like... <laughs> We find out that there's some kind of schoolyard beef between more beef, you know, just like beef all over the place. So later, like we cut to, of course, so now CSU and BNS are there. And the CSU lady from Stocked is with us, the one that was like, we didn't find any books. Oh, no, there's a book. Sorry about that, guys. (laughs) She's kind of lazy because she goes, these hotel crime scenes suck. I wrote that, too. I was like, she's still kind of weird. They think that it might have been a robbery turned sexual assault because they found fluids. Benson notes that there's no money or jewelry in the room or in the victim's purse. And she says, I at least carry a pair of earrings in my purse, which I thought was dirty. Like, your purse is dirty and then you're going to put your earrings in? So I sometimes go to the gym from work. So sometimes I'll take my earrings out and put them in my purse, but then they don't go back in my ears. Exactly. Sometimes when I'm getting really drunk at dinner, I get uncomfortable. (laughs) So I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I take my earrings off. I'm just picturing you like, mm. I wish it wasn't true because every time it happens, I have to go, oh, no, I hope I didn't lose those. And I check my purse. Uh, but I don't put them back in either. I disinfect them. So weird. And Elliot thinks that was a weird comment for her to make because he says, what do you mean? You never carry a purse. She goes, you carry it for me. And they have a little foreplay right there. Yeah, I wrote, ah, kiss already. Kiss already. But you don't. 24 years later, you don't. Nope. We'll go fuck ourselves. Bye. Another CSU guy says that she was asphyxiated, strangled, we learn. And the victim's body is in full rigor mortis, so that places her death between 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. the day before. Elliot notes that the victim's hands are sort of crossed in front of her chest. It was kind of not really, though. It was sort of like. It was like her hands were clasped over her chest, like she was Snow White or some shit. Stabler says it could have been minor personalization. And Benson says that it might have been a rapist, a burglar rapist with a conscience. Dun dun into the theme song. So Munch and Jeffries are coming down some stairs. Where do those go? I was thinking I'm like, they have an upstairs. We're never going to find out more about this. And Jeffries is saying that this is a classic power trip. And Munch is like, but you can't rule out the sexual aspect. And they're kind of bickering. And Benson and Stabler roll up and they're like, hi, frickin frack. Alphonse and Gaston. I'm like, ew, Gaston was abusive to Alphonse. I know. And also, Jeffries is so beautiful. Don't. (laughs) I'm like, she's too beautiful for you guys to be making these comments about her. But she's like, well, you know, when you spend too much time with someone, they'll corrupt you. And then they're all just like ribbing each other. But Cragen has no time for this because he busts in and wants his Cragen rundown. TM, TM, TM. 
So Stabler tells him the death was most likely caused by strangulation, and it reads like a robbery rape gone wrong. There's no signs of forced entry. There's no defensive wounds. And Cragen suggests maybe it's someone who knew her. They're going to completely ignore this for the next half of the episode, but hang tight. Oh, yeah. They say it (laughs) twice, and yet it doesn't seem to register with anyone. This is the part where they just kind of say shit that doesn't matter. Jeffries is like, seems more like regret than anger. And then Lil Briscoe wanders (laughs) by and goes, you can't rule out anger. (laughs) He kind of does like a, you can't rule out anger. (laughs) It was literally like someone tossing a beanie baby like over her head. Can't rule out anger. They're like, thank you. And we don't see him again for another like 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Craigan asks how they can narrow down this suspect list. And Olivia comments that the hotel had so many fingerprints and DNA samples. It was frightening, which I it is gross. But I hate when people go on and on about how dirty hotel rooms are. Don't stay in them then. So Stabler chimes in to, st- to say they're like testing and ruling out the staff. And then Craigan asks for more information about the victim. Her name is Sylvia Hadley. Her husband is in Baltimore, but she's here with her father-in-law, Ben Hadley, and mother-in-law to attend a conference for Christian colleges, which I feel like it's a little weird to be with your in-laws without your... Yeah, yeah. I thought that too. I was like, ew, she's, that's kind of weird. I mean, <laughs> poor Ben Jr. Poor Ben. <laughs> He's just a... Ch- He's such a chump. <laughs> He's a fucking cuck the entire time. <laughs> He is, like, in every definition of the word. They left him at home. We digress. <laughs> we digress. Um, so Munch reacts to this, and he pulls a little Gen Z. Just kidding, because it was, like, before Gen Z. He goes, not the Ben Hadley. What is he? He's just, like, the knowing. He's just, like, the knowing guy. He just knows everybody. If they're, like, in any sort of, like, political or political adjacent, it seems like Munch is, like, the guy. They're, like, he's, like, you know how, like, Jeffries is always, like, hey, I have, like, helpful information. We've been looking for Munch's thing, and this is it. And it's something about how Ben Hadley is, like, he basically, just to sum this up, because it'll come up a bunch more times, Ben Hadley's just this rich guy who is a preacher who got his doctorate from preacher school from the South. He bought a school that was like not doing super well it's called midvale college and then he turned it into like basically this big think tank as bunch says for neoconservatism benson says that sylvia's husband has been notified and he's catching the next flight to nyc stabler says that they spoke to the in-laws you know the hadleys and he said they were pretty flipped i'm assuming that means they were upset and so they're doing that rich person sequestering uh right now i thought he said they were pretty flip as in br- oh, like brusque like- or like that could uh, be true, but that's so weird because that kind of doesn't track for the. I mean, they're pretty unemotional, but they're but they say nice things. So basically, he says, "Okay, well, we have to go back and talk to the in laws." And Cragen tells him to move quickly but discreetly because, as usual, he could smell the politics from a mile away on this one. He's always so worried about getting fired. I know. I'm like, Cragen must be so excited when they do investigations on poor people. He's like, "Good, no one cares." Done, done. So we're at the Emmy's office. Fucking Cranky Jaw is back. Munch and Jeffries walk in and Munch is hitting on her, but it's like kind of with a new weird boldness. And I thought it might have been because like he's got Jeffries with him and he's like, look. And she's not as mean now that Jeffries is yeah. here. Maybe she is a little jealous. She did look a little defeated. Like when he walked in, she kind of closed her eyes, sort of like when you hear the doorbell ring and you're like, I just don't want to deal with the Jehovah's Witnesses right now. Not today. She confirms that the cause of death was manual strangulation. Strangulation. I'm going to leave it there. You know what we mean. Uh, And that the rape kit turned up semen and fluids on the sheets. 
Lots of fluids. And then she goes, it's a good sample. Yeah. Ew. I guess that means it was like a a big sample like, or a yeah your sample rife with dna i ew gross this isn't a costco how dare you compliment the sample it's a good sample this is why i don't like her done done we're at the hadley's hotel room slash whole apartment in new york city yes and benson and stabler are talking to the in-laws um olivia asks if they know where sylvia went the other day and Ben Hadley says that they had an award ceremony for some Christian college stuff. And there was a mixer, but Sylvia demurred. And they thought maybe she was tired from walking. He's like, it's a hard city. These people fucking hate New York City. And it's a running theme. So Olivia's like, did she have any meetings? And Ben doesn't answer this question. He's like, she liked art. She was really anxious to go to the Met. I'm like, did she? <laughs> It was like they specifically asked if she had meetings and he goes, Sylvia was very independent. She loved art. <laughs> when people start asking me if I have meetings, I'm going to be like, I'm just really independent. I like art. <laughs> I'll be like, do you have a meeting? Ugh, I'm really anxious to go to the Met. It's kind of like all the dialogue in all the episodes. They'll be like, did you kill that woman? It rains in Spain, but mainly on the plane. And they're like, true. It was dark that Tuesday night. Did you or didn't you? So Stabler then asks if um, she anyone saw her when she returned. And Mrs. Hadley said briefly, and she seemed really tired. And then Ben is like, well, she and Brad have been burning the midnight oil on the annual report. Sorry, I just mm-hmm. don't care. No. I have a lot of quotations in my notes here because Brad Weber is their financial guy. And he is also staying at the hotel. His firm has a New York office. And then Stabler asks if anyone has a personal grievance against her. They say no. And they're kind of pissy. And Stabler's like, look, we're just looking for a motive. And Ben's like, look here. It was either a drug addict or a rapist. And he's like, I knew something like this would happen here. Why did you fucking go? Why'd you come here? Dun, dun. (laughs) Dun, dun. Now we're in the basement of the hotel, kind of a quick scene. Um, they're talking to B&S, are talking to the hotel security supervisor, I think, or like the security manager. That's what I think it is. He explains that the cameras aren't in all parts of the hallway, like they don't have them literally everywhere, and they trace the movements of the staff and the guests just like through key cards mostly. Great, we're talking about lockboxes again. There we go. I know. I was like, we're not doing this shit again, SVU. <laughs> I'm tired. Like, um, so then they ask for Sylvia's key card log. He gives it to them and they ask for the security tape and he gives that to them too. But he says that it's not time stamped because it's some bizarre glitch. And Stable goes, mm, we'll take it anyway. <laughs> they tell him that they're going to go talk to the staff and the guy very confidently says they won't find anything because they perform basically more diesel background checks than the FBI. So back outside, Olivia is reading the entry log and the maid came in to clean at 9.45 a.m. Sylvia had also ordered room service, Ugh, the best, a bunch, but just not during the window of when she died. She went into the room last at a quarter to five, and Stabler wonders if maybe this person was in there waiting for her, and then he could have left at any time, possibly like really late when no one would have seen him. Dun dun. I think they just go, they're like, we're gonna go talk to Brad Weber now. Time to talk to Brad. So Brad tells them that he's centrally located in Baltimore, much like where the Hadleys are from, I guess. And he comes to New York occasionally to do business because, like we said, he's got an office there with his firm. 
Stabler asks if he met Sylvia on Sunday, and Brad says that they had a meeting about the annual report because they were going to be presenting it to the board of trustees soon. So afterwards, he said he went back up. To, he went back to his office and he worked a little more, and then he left and he was walking around Fifth Avenue, and then he went back to the hotel where he's also he's staying at the same hotel as the Hadleys all were. Benson asks what time he got back to the hotel, and Brad says 9 p.m. And he goes, "You seem suspicious." He kind of scoff laughs. He's like, oh, "You could seem suspicious." And Stabler asks if anyone saw him saw him leave this office, and then and he says no. And he's like, "This isn't really a great building. They're always like sleeping." So that and then they're like, "What did you do when you got back to the hotel room?" And he goes, "I went to sleep. It was supposed to be a big day today because they were going to be presenting the annual report." Whatever, Brad. Dun dun. dun, dun. We're at the bullpen. Munch is here with Ben Hadley Jr. at the desk. This is going to get a little confusing because there's Ben Hadley Sr. and Ben Hadley Jr. Sr. is his father. Jr. is the one who was married to Sylvia. And this is some a fun fact. Sr. is played by Robert Foxworth. Son is played by Bo Foxworth. It's a father-son acting duo playing father-son. I saw that. I was like, that's so cute. Isn't that cute? It's like bring your son to work day. Munch asks Junior if he has any kids, and he says no. And he's like, which is a good thing, because I don't know how I would explain it to them. Like, okay, <laughs> they don't exist. Um, Munch asks if he and Sylvia were having any problems, and he immediately gets defensive. And he's like, my wife was not having an affair. She asks if there is any financial trouble. He says no. And then he starts whining. And he's like, do you have to put our private lives under a microscope? Sir, this is a murder investigation. <laughs> I don't know what to tell these people. It's like, I'm sorry, but also statistically. He's like, this is one of your New York psychos. So I don't know why you need to be bothering me. You leave our New York psychos out of this until we have more proof. How dare you? So Benson and Stabler then walk in and Munch introduces them. He's like, they're the one handling your case. I would have been like, why were you questioning me then? I know. And he kind of the way Munch kind of like, because you know how sometimes he'll be aggressive with rich people because he gets mad at them. But he kind of seemed tired, almost like he just didn't want to deal with Junior's whining anymore. He was like, uh, this is Texas Benson and Stabler. They'll be handling your case. And Benson and Stabler are like, they're like, behind, like over this guy's shoulder. They're like, you're working on this case, too. And Munch is like, no. So Olivia tells him that they have a few leads that they are chasing down. And Hadley Jr. says that he should probably go see his parents. And then he apologized for, apologizes for getting frustrated. And he's like, I appreciate the work you're doing. So he leaves. And Olivia tells Munchies that they just interviewed Brad Weber, who handles the endowment. But they totally struck out. He was seen by the lazy ass building doorman and the hotel employees when he went in to check his messages. So Munch tells her that the hotel screening isn't bringing up anything either. They have fingerprints in the room that belong to the maid and the room service person, and he has an alibi. Olivia mentions that the hotel's security guy mentioned some... Okay, we forgot to say this earlier. They were talking to... When they were talking to the security guy at the hotel, he mentioned that he had a friend working at another hotel, which made me laugh. I was like, oh, just like hotel people are friends. This person um, just had a burglary at their hotel. And so it sounds like the hotel people are kind of buzzing that there might be some like a burglar hitting all the hotels. Olivia mentions that the hotel security guy mentioned someone is hitting the city's big hotels and there is a robbery task force on it. And then Olivia hands over the videotapes to Briscoe Jr., tell him, tells him to have fun, you know, because there's no time codes. And then Stabler gets off the phone, of course, and says the latest victim of these hotel robberies is Lana Hoffman and they're going to go interview her. Dun, dun. dun, dun. Now we're on the streets with Lana Hoffman. 
I don't know if she like lives at hotels. That's kind of how it sounds because she was like, now I'm at another hotel. And she's in it. We didn't mention this earlier. Um, Sylvia's a pretty attractive and Lana is also an attractive blonde. So it's like, oh, OK. Is that a yeah. Hmm. Lana says when she got back to her hotel that night, the night she was robbed, it took her a minute to realize all her stuff was even missing because it wasn't like ripped to shreds or anything, I think. Uh, and then she noticed that her jewelry was gone. Money she had left in the safe was gone. But she said what really upset her was that whoever robbed her also had masturbated to completion Ew. into a pair of her underwears and then left them there. And the cops that were investigating at the task force, they just dismissed it as an idiosyncrasy. And I was like, well, yeah, it is. But it's that's the point. It's not good. Also, Benson and Stabler are triggered because there was underpants found at a crime scene and they weren't called. And that and that and those underpants were taken and put in a lockup at the robbery task force. And as we know, that's not where underpants belong. No, you send them to the bitchy M.E. or no, or the CSI people. It is kind of crazy in their defense. They do get a little uppity about it later. But like there is there was literal semen in those underpants and the fucking detectives for the robbery task force were like, we're just going to take these and like put them in an evidence locker and not test it. I know. I'm like, there's like DNA. Like that's your best piece of evidence. So Olivia asks Lana if she noticed anything weird before the break in. And at first she's like, no, no, nothing. And then finally she's like, well, actually, there was this guy that was always in the lobby reading the newspaper. And he rode up with me in the elevator one time and he like creeped her out. And she describes him as small build, wire rimmed glasses, always in a red baseball cap. Dun dun. We're at the 31st precinct where the robbery task force is located. (laughs) BNS are speaking with the robbery task force detective, and he's one of those cops that thinks SVU is weird. <laughs> he's like, oh, investigating sex crimes? Weird. I'm like, well, when you people do it, it ends really poorly. Right. Like, this is why we have the panty police, because I think one of the, I think someone in another episode called the panty police. So that's why <laughs> Which I'm is him that. The mo- At the time, I was like, how disrespectful. And now I'm like, no, they literally are always here based on the presence or lack thereof of underwear. That has been boiled down to it's either the the, if it's a man their penis had to be shot or cut off and if it's a woman she either has to be wearing or not wearing panties except for in wanderbust where the panties were inside the male's throat so bns are giving this guy i don't remember i don't know if you wrote down his name but i just keep calling him the task force guy i'm gonna do that thing where i'm like no page and then later i'm and then i say his name later no i'm look glancing down i don't think i wrote down his name we can call him Norm because he reminded me kind of of Norm from Cheers, but obviously less awesome. A bad Norm. Not Norm from Cheers. BNS are giving him the business about calling, about not calling them about the underwears. And he says that it was just your standard burglary, which no, it was not. He masturbated into a pair of underwears. What? What's happening? Stabler hits back to saying that the suspect was clearly demonstrating sexual perverse or devious behavior. And he was also clearly escalate, escalating. So they absolutely should have been called. This cop was kind of Tom Sandovaling them. He goes, so all robbery robbers are rapists in training. Oh, we should arrest all the robbers and give them to you. And they're like, literally not what we're saying. My mouth is open because, again, you haven't even seen that show and you managed to capture. He did that in one scene. Because he's a fucking basic ass man and he might think he's special, but he's not. And I've seen a thousand men just like him. Oh, my. It's insane because he literally did at one point when Ariana was like, your friendship with Raquel is bullshit. He goes, oh, you're just someone who knows everything, I guess. You just know everything. Look, this person knows everything. 
lines that came out of his mouth, look, this person knows everything to the girl that he cheated on. This man is the Tom Sand. Actually, there's like multiple Tom Sandovals of this episode, but he's the first one we run into. The detective, detective not Norm, kind of scoffs and he sarcastically asks how they would have helped, even though they just kind of said. And B&S get to go back and forth kind of like flexing, like a little Mm. monologue of flexing their professional knowledge. Olivia goes, we could have told you he stalks his victims before striking. And then Stabler goes, or that he likes blondes and he gets half his rush from being in plain view. The detective doesn't like this, so he starts bullying them. He goes, well, no one wants to call you ever. (laughs) Dead ass guys, they leave because they're like, so this is all your fault. And they leave. And then he runs out after them outside. He goes, so we didn't call you. So no one wants to call you ever. (laughs) And then he goes, and then he says he doesn't, he says, my guys don't understand why you would pick the type of unit that you're in. Stabler goes, it's people like you that make our squad necessary. The other detective says that he goes, my guys don't want anything that SVU has. You're tainted. So then Benson gets a phone call. <laughs> she lets the boys. She's like, okay, bye. And Stabler and not Norm are just like in each other's faces, like kind of like smile glaring at each other. And the other detective goes, he says, I bet 10 bucks that the only other people you hang out with is Brooklyn SVU. And Stabler's grinning. He goes, you'd get that wrong. It's Bronx SVU. (laughs) I wrote, what is happening? (laughs) How did we get here? Just like a little gentle pissing contest. I also didn't even know there was a Brooklyn SVU. Or a Bronx SVU. Benson gets off the phone. She goes, that was Cragen. Victim was pregnant. Stabler, without blinking, goes, well, what do you know? Double homicide. And he does the finger guns at the other detective. I am in awe. You know he had that lined up. And the cop is just like, oh, whatever. Go away. We don't want you here. No one ever calls you and no one ever wants to have lunch with you. And Brooklyn Homicide had a party last week and they don't even tell SVU. Don't tell Manhattan SVU because they're literally no one likes them. They said that about you guys. They did a donut wall and everything. And it was super cool and you weren't fucking invited. Bye. <laughs> done, done, done. We're at the boo pen. Jeffries is in a blazer and I'm a little concerned. Is there a vest under it? Probably. Maybe it's like under her t-shirt as kind of like an emotional support vest. So Olivia asks how Briscoe is doing with the tapes and it's taking time. He's looking out for that little like red baseball cap they mentioned earlier. And Stabler is hard at work working on a little map. Put like put little pins in. He's really cute. It seems that this perpetrator hits each hotel once or twice there's no forced entry the occupants never in the room and he never used staff cards he's only hitting hotels with key card access to the room so nothing that uses like an old-fashioned key or i gonna say i feel like we've only ever lived in a time where there were key cards munch wonders if he has some sort of device that cracks the codes to the locks and naive stabler's like but only the feds have that technology <laughs> sweet baby angel stabler every episode is like Oh, but that sounds impossible. It's like it's the new millennium, sir. And then Munch is like, maybe it's ex-CIA. But whatever. Cragen walks in and yells, people! I think you should all hear this. (laughs) I love Cragen walks in yelling. (laughs) He loves yelling people. People! Maybe he's already hearing. (laughs) He always always comes in yelling. But he goes, people, I think you should hear this. <laughs> like, it's not screamed through the entire sentence. He just comes in and shouts people. So he turns up a radio and Ben Sr. is just 
griping about moral decay. This sickness has taken a valiant member of our family. That's literally what that sounded like to me. We have a tradition of morals and standards. And I wrote, chill, Chan, it's a college. So once this bitch sesh is done, Cragen turns it off and then looks at them like, hmm, and then asks where they are with, on the case. And so they tell him they have a burglar with a similar MO and a description. And Cragen's like, well, go get him. So the phone is ringing off the hook ever since like Ben Sr. stopped talking in that room. And Cragen goes, go get him because you know who's on the other end of that phone call. Who? Who? I don't know. Is it the commissioner or like the internal affairs guy? Elliot, (laughs) have you solved the crime yet? (laughs) But I just love how he's like, well, go get him. I'm like, and they do. At first I was like, well, uh, you'd think if they could get him, they'd go do it. But next scene they go get him. So I'm like, wait, so what were they waiting for? He had a point. I was like, wait, they just like, did, did I miss the part where they narrowed it down? They just like knew who the guy was. But it's not in here and it doesn't matter. Apparently, they were like, Dun-Dun's going to be at the Rolleston Hotel. Jeffrey's in Munch, who is in a fedora for no reason. He's dressed like the fucking Undertaker. They're in the elevator with this suspect, and he's in his red hat. Wire rim glasses, small build red hat. I'm like, oh, there he is. He looks a little like Neil Patrick Harris when Neil Patrick Harris was in the 90s, because um, he had like chubby kind of baby yeah. face. A little bit like Jim Gaffigan from that mm. era, too. Like a mixture he gets out on the sixth floor and Munchies follows him. And they're not really following that. Like, he goes, like, two feet away from them and he starts to open one of the hotel rooms. And they're, like, kind of right behind him. And they see him. They're, like, watching him do it. And they call down to Benson and Stabler, who are, like, in the lobby, I think. They tell Benson and Stabler that he's breaking into room 624. So they let him go in. Benson and Stabler come upstairs. Then they break into the room. <laughs> And Munch goes, wrong room. Munch, I think, gets so much joy from fucking with people. So they grab him. They grab Neil Patrick Harris, his doppelganger. They march him outside. They're outside. And Norm from the robbery task force runs over to them. He goes, hey, that's our caller. And Jeffries goes, like hell it is. (laughs) He says to Benson and Stabler that since the commissioner created the task force, it takes precedence over other investigations like murder, I guess. Benson says that Craig has been speaking with the mayor and Stabler adds to that who doesn't like hearing that you're unwilling to cooperate. They tattled on him. No wonder no one wants to hang out with SVU. (laughs) They're a bunch of fucking tattlers. Norm from Task Force doesn't he I'm going to say loses all scruples or doesn't know the legend of Elliot Stabler, Elliot Marie. And he puts a hand on Elliot Marie's shoulder and Elliot Marie whips around grabs Norm from the task force by his collar and he goes don't touch me I don't like to be touched which is a lie he loves when people touch him so he can beat the piss out of them and Olivia's like trying to kind of like oh no stop it in the background but she's just like staring into Elliot's eyes she's like oh wow Norm from the task force just does that thing where he puts his hands up kind of like all right all right and so then Stabler lets him go gets in his car and then Neil Patrick Harris's doppelganger turns to Munch as Munch is about to put him in the squad car and he goes if that's the guy who's questioning me I definitely want my lawyer present good call he's not wrong dun dun so we have him in the scary interrogation room he has a name isn't it John it's like John John. Hinckley or something oh it's like John Hinckley Fenway or something John Hinckley Fenway that's what it is even if it's not it's John Hinckley Fenway so John Hinckley Fenway Uh, first like, of all, like Neil Patrick Harris, John Hinckley Fenway. Fenway. So Jeffries has a vest on again. So all is right with the world, first of all. And Munch dangles the little key card device in John Hinckley Fenway's face and tells him, he's like, this would make certain covert agencies jealous. 
And John Hinckley Fenway is like, well, not really. This is just like basic shit. Um, Jeffrey Jeffrey's asked where he got it. And he's like, well, I made it. And the whole time he's talking, his lawyer is just like, shut the fuck up. And John Hinckley Fenway is like, no, bitch. No, I'm just going to keep talking. It was giving a little like they were old friends. And this happens to John Hinckley Fenway quite a bit. And he's just this lawyer is like his friend Dan. And he's just like, oh, my God, John. Please, please just shut up this time. This would be you and me if you were my lawyer. So John Hinckley Fenway. I I love this. (laughs) So John Hinckley Fenway worked. (laughs) I can't wait to look up what his name really is. The Ballad of John Hinckley Fenway. (laughs) So John worked for an electronic lock company and he got fired Be. He says he got fired because he was bothered by the illusion of security. So I'm guessing he was just really mouthy at work. So he tells them all the things he stole are sitting in his apartment catalog so it can be returned. And his lawyer again is like, please shut up. So Munch and Jeffries are like, we're going to give you a minute. And they go outside to talk to Benson and Stabler. As they go out, they're like both outside of the two-way mirror. John Hinckley Fenway approaches the window cups his hands around his face and looks through and he's trying to look at them they barely give him a glance and they're just like talking about him and he the whole time is just like trying to look out peeping it is hilarious he wants attention and he's kind of like Raquel he wants attention negative or positive and he will go to any lengths to get it Munchies comes out and Bensler's there and so Munchies kind of have Munch turns to Jeffries and goes all right so when we go back in we do good cop bad cop Jeffries is like cool and then they do like a fist bump and so then Bensler goes it's kind of like a lunchtime meetup she's like huh, we're debating the pregnancy should we tell the Hadleys or should we keep it in close and Munch tells them I would keep it in close just in case you need to pull it out of them later <laughs> and I'm like that is savage I know he's like in case you want to emotionally devastate them later for real, wow. guys. Guys, we should we use it to the fuck baby? with people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so munchies go back in now that they kind of do like a break. And Munch is like, so have you always had an underwear fetish? John Hinckley Fenway. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he says no, but he came to realize ju- that's just who he is. He's like, no harm, no foul. I kind of love him because I'm like, listen... Um, it's disgusting to do that and leave it for someone. But I love how in touch with himself he is. He's like, I like to steal to prove a point. I like to annoy people. He comes off kind of likable. Like, I did not hate this man. He's actually the only person right. in this episode I don't hate. Besides our, like, regular players. He's also only stealing from the rich. He's like a creepy little Robin Hood. Yeah. So he goes, no harm, no foul. And Jeffries is like, uh-uh, big harm, big foul. Big harm, big foul. And then they ask where he was on Sunday night. And he's like, why? And they tell him that they're looking into him for a rape homicide. And John Hinckley Fenway goes, no way. I would never hurt anybody. John Hinckley Fenway. He's like, I am not wired that way. So John's lawyer tries once more to have a one-on-one conversation with him. He's like, I need to have a private conversation with my client. And John is like, no, I want to clear this up now. And he says that on Sunday night, he was at the Soho East and he stole a diamond-studded collar off of a terrier of a, in a room that he broke into. So, so you think that the dog was left there while the owner was at dinner. And he goes, cute dog. I liked him. I was like, oh, he didn't kill Sylvia and he loves dogs. What a good person. Dun, dun. 
<laughs> so Ben Jr. and Senior are there, and Ben Jr. wants to see John Hinckley Fenway. And I'm like, and do what? What are you going to do this? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so Munch tells him that he goes, after all that, we don't think it was him. <laughs> and Ben's like, unbelievable, because Ben seems to think that murder investigations are easy. He's like, no, this should have been solved like the moment it happened. Stabler reminds him that these things take time, and he turns to Senior and says, and riling up the press will not make things go quicker. These people are kind of funny because, like, they'll do something really aggressive, and then they'll go, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh, you're so right. This is, like, now the second time that's happened. Yeah, so Senior goes, he apologizes, and he goes, I'm really sorry. Like, we, too, are under a lot of pressure. And I'm like, from what? You own a college. (laughs) Like, a family member died. Can you imagine if, like, something happened to a family member of yours? And I'm like, Brittany, who did it? So that didn't make any sense. Um, but he apologizes and says, he goes, we know that your job is hard and we really respect that. And we appreciate all you've done for us. But then Ben Hadley Jr. goes, how hard can it be? My wife was killed in a hotel. And I'm like, he's going to be bringing that up. I knew what he meant. He meant kind of like there should be some type of, like you know, precautions set in place, where's the video cameras, but it was the way the lie was delivered. It was sort of like, hey, Ben, how you doing? Like, you know, did you have a good Labor Day? My wife was murdered in a hotel. I know. And I was like, yes, you know, those hotel murders are notoriously easy to solve. Oh, I mean, apparently there's a whole plethora that Ben Hadley Jr. Now I can't stop. (laughs) Ben Hadley Jr. Um, so I wrote you're a cuck so then they leave the Hadleys leave and Craig enters and he goes well that was nice (laughs) super helpful thanks Craig's so Jeffrey says that she's confirmed with the Soho East that there was a break-in reported and among the stolen items was a diamond studded dog collar so John Hinckley Fenway is innocent of this particular crime Benson says that she wonders if Sylvia was having an affair because she's wondering why else she would keep the pregnancy from her husband Jeffrey suggests that maybe Sylvia wanted to make sure before she told her husband. And they kind of surmise it might be possible that her attacker, that she knew her attacker again for the eighth time because there was no sign of forced entry and she barely fought back. So Cragen tells Munchies to finish up with this hotel burglar guy, John Hinckley Fenway, and Benson and Stabler need to go back to the hotel in the morning to take a closer look at Sylvia. Dun dun. So we're back at the hotel and they appear to be questioning like some sort of manager in the kitchen. So he remembers Sylvia and he's like, but if she hadn't died, I probably wouldn't have. But that's just like kind of the way things go. She ordered a lot of room service. And then when someone would bring it up, she'd remember something else she wanted. So Stadler suggests that maybe she was ordering for two. And he's like, well, yeah, that's possible. And then he mentions that she never ordered dinner, only hors d'oeuvres. I could literally, if I'm at a dinner party and they have a tray of spinach triangles, I wish they would just give me the tray. I don't want one. I want all of the spinach triangles. One of my favorite things is when I go to dinner with someone and they're like, do you just want to order a bunch of appetizers? Yes. Yes, I do. Best. Mm. And then if you do order a main, you're too full and then you have delicious leftovers so he calls over to the room service guy tony and he's like oh do you remember sylvia and he's like oh yeah the chicken this room number that bit it and then he comes over and the manager asks if she was ever with anyone and he's like well no but whenever i went up the door to the bathroom was always closed which why do you think he remembered that I guess because it is not something people do often, but I don't think I would have clocked it. I mean, unless she was like, don't mind the bathroom. I took a massive (laughs) duty in there. She like said it every time he brought something up, which was like 50 times, apparently. She's like, don't mind me. I'd had another duty. She's like, that's why the door is closed, if you're wondering. And he was like, I wasn't. 
So then this guy kind of apologizes for saying she was the woman that bit it. He was like, sorry, after a while, they all just like become their room numbers. And Benson and Stabler are like, we literally don't care. And the manager says one night she called at 11 because she wanted the um, hotel, like the room bar restocks. And he's like, I can't do that. Which why? This is a nice hotel. Right. I mean, I wonder if it was like it was too late. It sounded it dead ass sounded like they just didn't like her. Oh, yeah. Like, no, they're like, no, we can't do that. Yeah, they're like, she asked for a lot of shit, so we said no. So she told him she was going down to the bar. I would, uh, and to that, I would have been like, okay, thanks. And then in my head would have been like, all right, I'm going down to the bar. I wouldn't have been like, okay, then I will go down to the bar. Right? Like, was it a threat? Like, fine, you're not going to give me more little shaps. I'm going to go down to the bar, you piece of shit. Anyway, this was all happened Saturday night. So they're going to go talk to the bartender. And... One off, Benson kind of makes a comment that sounds like Sylvie wasn't like the stand up girl the Hadleys made her out to be. And I'm like, well, she died. Like, so the Hadleys aren't going to be like, yeah, our daughter in law was super annoying and drank a lot and also ate, <laughs> eats a lot. Honestly, though, Sylvia sounds, they're like, oh, wow, she wasn't really this person they thought she was. She sounds fine to me. I mean, okay, sounds a little rude to the staff, which I don't appreciate. Right. But like, skipping events because she's too tired to go home and like order room service is totally something I would do until the end when we hear more about how annoying she was I thought that too I was like they're kind of like oh wow she wasn't the good girl they thought she was I'm like you could be a good person and still indulge yeah weird anyway so done done we go to the hotel bar um we have another kind of weird guy. It's a fucking, again, inconsequential character. It's the bartender, but he's just like really laying it on thick. I'm like, Jesus, like yeah. calm down. And he says that he remembers Sylvia and that she was there with a guy on Saturday night. She was laying on pretty thick with the guy. They were flirting and B&S were like, what do you mean? And he has a moment, like his own little moment. And he says, oh, you know, she's putting her hand on his leg, leaning in close, whispering. She's drinking apple martinis to lose control, and he's drinking Amistel Light to keep it. <laughs> Olivia kind of notes that she's like, you see this often? And he's like, tale as old as time. <laughs> so did you have a sip of an apple martini? Why are you doing this? The bartender says that Sylvia and this man left together. She couldn't walk without him. Because <laughs> they were like, are you sure they left together? And he goes, yeah, she couldn't walk without him. And Stabler asks if the guy seemed like he was staying at the same hotel. The bartender says, yes. In fact, I'm pretty sure he charged the drinks to his hotel room. So he goes and he checks the thing that they do that with. But he says he checks the bill and he confirms that it was Brad Weber. And for some reason, B&S are like, what? Which, Brad, the thing is, Brad, we don't really like him. He never lied to them, though. And I think if they'd asked, he would have said that this happened. Like four or five people also told even they didn't really press Brad when they were talking to him because the Hadleys were like, oh, yeah, they were burning the midnight oil. Getting back in at 9 p.m. to your hotel room, especially in Manhattan, is not burning the midnight oil. That's, That's like, like turning in early. early. Yeah. Right. So it's weird that they're like, oh, my God, Brad, it was Brad. Dun, dun. So we have Brad in the scary interrogation room. BNS are here. And Stabler asks how well he knew Sylvia. Brad mumbles. I actually can't fucking, didn't fucking hear what he said. He says, you people already asked me a lot. Why is he mumbling? I don't, yet he's also eight feet tall. So it's just uh, like, hey, he's, yeah. hey, you up there, speak up. So they ask how often he meets with Sylvia and he's like, well, super often lately. Oh my, okay, we're entering it. Um, It's a bunch of boring financial talk. I said, what is this? Stocks and bondage part two. 
I literally don't care to tell you. It's blah, blah, blah. We had to do a report of the checks and the balances and the money and the investments. So Stabler asks if the night at the bar was an investment meeting or a date. And he gets super weird. And he's like, oh, it was an investment meeting. They're like, are you married, Brad? And he's like, yes, happily. They tell him that's interesting because they heard they were very friendly at the bar, which is not exactly what the bartender said, but whatever. And he's like, honestly, what she did was kind of harassment. And I was trying to be nice so that she wouldn't ruin my fucking life. And Stabler points in his face and goes, that we don't buy. I said, I was like, okay, dad, (laughs) that we don't buy. So finger guns. B and S are like, well, that's sweet because that sounds like a motive. You two are having an affair and you wanted to break it off. But you lose a huge client. And then Stabler shout talks, you killed her to protect yourself. I was like, okay. (laughs) Chill, Jan. Okay. It's just an endowment. (laughs) So Brad shouts no. And he's like, listen, that night she showed up drunk for the meeting and then wanted to go to the bar. And he's like, I literally had to go. And she insisted. But he did like walking around with an attractive woman on his arm. Like he does cop to that. Um, he only ordered beers as she like was chugging these teenies and he's like, but I don't drink often. So those went to my head. Buddy, you are six foot five. Yeah. I'm sure you could drink a lot without it going to your head. Especially be- Amistel lights. Like ugh, who's the princess who can't who gets drunk off of like four Amistel lights. So then we find out they did kiss in front of her room but he claims that's as far as it goes and once again Stabler's like you expect us to believe that and I think he asks he's like are you married Detective Stabler and Stabler's like I don't want to talk about it." he goes this isn't about me (laughs) and I'm like wow you caught him on a bad day because normally when you bring up family and wives he's like oh I'm on your side now so Brad says that Stabler, he's like, you're going to understand this. After I let the kiss happened, the thought that I had like ruined what I had with my wife was just like so sobering that I immediately like rushed off and was like, fuck this shit. Unmarried, single Olivia rolls her eyes and she's like, mm, sounds pretty convenient because she's unmarried. I wrote something about that later. I was that somebody comes for her being single and unmarried again. And I'm like, people just love reminding her that she doesn't know one damn thing about marriage. So then Olivia asks where he was Sunday night. And he's like, I was in my room. And they're just like, hmm. And do they ask him that? Because then Stabler goes, did you watch any pay movies? And Brad goes, oh, my God, no. And Stabler goes, that's not good for your story. Are they talking about porn? I think so. Those are like the only kinds of movies you have to pay for at hotels, right? I don't know. So are we to believe that if if Brad didn't go home and watch porn, that he actually... I like how the logic is like, oh, yeah, you were in your room at nine. Were you masturbating, Brad? And he's like, uh, no. And they're like... I know. They're like shitting on him. And he's like, oh, guys. So done, done. They kind of, they're like, ah, we're going to test your DNA. So <laughs> done, done. Hadley Senior's hotel room, that massive thing. Seniors telling BNFs that Brad's very good with managing the endowment funds and Stabler challenges it as faint praise and then kind of implying that the Hadley is hiding something. Oh, Junior is also here. He's just like standing there waiting for someone to notice him. My wife was killed in the hotel. They're like, we know. We Junior, know. We please. know. No one ever lets Junior talk. It's great. So the 
Hadley quotes Rude's like scripture about judgment and Stabler's like, okay, stop. And he firmly asks Hadley Sr. to tell them any information about Brad that may be pertinent to the investigation. So Sr. kind of hesitates and he's got this very like soft kind of like clicky voice. He says that Brad was kind of known to be a bit in the tank at all of the Midvale functions whenever he was invited to these fucking things about like the endowment or whatever. And in addition to being in the tank, big old drunk, he was also very flirty with the ladies. And they used to just laugh it off because apparently he was like a stupid funny drunk. But now they're like, oh, no. I was like, oh, typical men laughing at another man sexually harassing women. How very hilarious. Uh, It's a classic funny thing that happens. It's like a classic funny mess around. Benson asks if they thought Sylvia had a more personal relationship with Brad than like they let on. And Junior goes, they work together. I can't imagine him hurting her. So then everyone gets all uncomfortable looking and kind of like, and Senior turns around and he says that there was only like one monthly check-in or update that was required for the endowment work that Brad was doing. And so there was pretty much no reason for Sylvia to be like working with him as closely as they were working. Uh, And so then Junior goes, wait, what do you mean? He like picks up on the tone being like, "Uh, finally. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, wait, what do you mean? What, What, Dad, why do you sound like that? So then Senior turns to him and goes, come on, Ben. Late nights, two to three times a week. It's possible that you just didn't want to see it. And then he pats like his arm. Like condescendingly. He's like, mm, buddy. And then Junior turns around. He goes, this is unbelievable. And at this point, I kind of feel bad for Junior because I do feel like he's stuck in this weird snow globe of everyone like infantizing or infantilizing him or whatever. Just being like, Ben, she was cheating on you, bud. Just go sit down. Have Here's a lollipop. So Stabler asks if they ever argued. And Senior says, he's like, not that I could hear. Not during the daytime, at least. I was like, oh, shady. Senior's just sitting there because, you know, they all live in the same house in Baltimore. Senior's just sitting here like with like one of those little like a glass to his ear, like listening. So Stabler suggests um, what if Sylvia wanted to end the relationship, but Weber didn't want to lose the account. And Senior's like, God help him. I was praying this was a stranger. I'm like, that's a weird thing to pray for, sir. It. It is weird. Like, I kind of get it, I guess. It's like, oh, I hope that if my daughter-in-law was killed, it would have been by a stranger and not someone I trusted. But, like, you can't pray for... You gotta let let it happen. Yeah. (laughs) Just stop praying about that You're gonna pray for stuff you can't control. You might as well pray that she didn't die in the first place. What are your prayers really going towards? Pray for something Mm. more realistic, like time travel. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> dun, dun, dun dun. Uh mean interrogation room again? Yeah, mean interrogation yes. room. So B and S are in there with Brad and his lawyer. Uh his lawyer's another one that is kind of like sick of Brad's shit. They're like, stop talking. <laughs> so B and S are like, we heard you get drunk at work functions, and they're mad that he lied to them about that. They're like, Yeah, you lied to us about being a drunk. And so Brad gets all upset and he's like, You don't have any idea how nerve-wracking those things are. And this lawyer goes, cool it, Brad. Cool it, Brad. Is he saying that like, no, I would never get super drunk because I'm so nervous? Or is he saying he just accidentally gets drunk because he's so nervous? I think it's the latter. I think it was kind of in the vein of like, oh, come on. Like, it's not like I don't I'm not like a drunk. I just get, you know, like it's nerve wracking. Like, I think it was kind of like that. So they also tell him they heard he met with Sylvia more than necessary. And he's like, do you have any idea what goes into keeping that college afloat? Ugh. I don't care. Okay. To summarize, blah, 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 balloon payments, blah, 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 coordination, blah, 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 trustees. Anyway, bad money deal equals problem now. 
Brad's lawyer chimes in and says, Brad's never been in trouble for, and frankly, he told the truth because I wasn't present. And I'm like, not you calling Brad a dum-dum. <laughs> so many dum-dums. And Olivia's like, well, you're our prime suspect unless you can divert our attention like a blood test. So the lawyer leans in and is, is basically like, uh, Brad, did you fucking do this? And Brad's like, no, 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 I didn't fucking do this. And the lawyer's like, yeah, you can take the blood. Dun dun, bullpen. Jeffries mentions that Hadley was apparently sued a little while ago for like intimidating and firing mid bail professors who didn't agree with like Christianism. And he was trying to get rid of like books on evolution, shit like that. And so there was some bad blood there with old professors. Um, Craig tells them, he tells the squad to go find and talk to any professors who were wrongfully terminated by Hadley. Done, done. Now we're in Washington Square Park because NYU is around there. Munchies are talking to one of the scorned professors. Hadley took over Midvale College, changed the curriculum. Again, basically got rid of like conversations about evolution and anything that's not having to do with Christian science. Um, they ask if he knew Sylvia and the guy says he didn't really know her or had only met her once, but that there were rumors around you know, town, that Sylvia was spending more time with senior than she did with junior. So he says, this isn't really surprising. He basically says junior's really nice, but he's just like a Nepo baby. And Sylvia's really headstrong, which I was like, okay, that's one of those things where they say that where it doesn't really make sense. But I guess what he's supposed to saying is basically like, Junior's nice, but a doormat, and Sylvia has aspirations. So it, I guess it makes sense that she would go after his dad, who is the real powerful person in the relationship. This is when they kind of in and out. These people start being like, Sylvia was such a go-getter. Like, you really should have seen her work. She loved the college. She was so good at her job. And it, it's all, again, it's not a real fucking job. It sounds like this girl just like... Went to meetings. Right. And was like kind of inserting herself. Done, done. Now we're at Sylvia's memorial. Senior's giving a speech about how Sylvia was special to Midvale College and their family is hurting and that she was like, Oh, they're instituting a scholarship or like some type of fund in Sylvia's name. And I, I wrote, where are her parents? All the attendees look real bored, too. So BNS approach Hadley. Um, I didn't specify, but it must be Junior. Um, I think it's Junior. It must be. He asks about Weber and they're like, well, he volunteered his DNA, which doesn't really look so hot. And he's like, this whole thing is unbelievable. And Olivia makes intense eye contact with him. And she's like, People will do things you never thought them capable of. Poor Junior is kind of dumb and doesn't pick up on that. And Stabler's like, well, is there anyone else she had frequent contact with that they should be looking at? And he says no. And then they're like, so like, what was her state of mind? And he's like, well, she's like changed a lot over the last few years. Our marriage was fine, but she wasn't the same person. And Stabler's like, all right, well, that's just like marriage. Like people change. And he's like, no, she started flying around the country and was always on her cell phone. She, she was like an early influencer, like, you know, just like another fucking job where it, you shouldn't be flying everywhere all over the country because you work at a college. Yeah. <laughs> like enough, please, enough. Uh, hashtag girl boss (laughs) you know sylvia was a hashtag one of those hashtag girl bosses you'll have a dinner with her and you're like god i hope sylvia doesn't talk about her job i really just want to like discuss like movies or like culture or anything else and sylvia goes oh oh my god sorry hashtag girl bossing is so exhausting can i get an apple martini and everyone's like oh god sylvia came to brunch today fuck done done so we're at the bullpen again 
So Cragen asks if the staff angle is completely dead. Is that what he asked? He did. He yells it. He says, so the staff angle is completely dead? That's been dead for like 20 minutes. I, I don't know where he's been. So Jeffrey says the screening turned up no one, basically. And Weber's DNA came back negative. And he has also resigned as manager of the endowment because he was like, fuck these people. So then Cragen asks about the family. And he's like, well, you should probably get some DNA from them. And Olivia's like, we'll probably need a court order for Ben Sr. <laughs> She's trembling. She like steps up too. Like she kind of, she like walks into the his space. And she goes, how are you going to do that? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think it's going to be really hard. <sighs> I think we, need need, we might need a court order, guys. <laughs> Are you sweating, Olivia? He's like, he's like, yeah, we'll get a court order or something, because at this point, we just need to figure this shit out. Go talk to Sharon Hadley, since she seems to be the glue that holds this family together, a.k.a. the only sane one who's not like, yeah, let's like go hither and fro for a college. Seriously. Dun dun. Dun dun. The nice interrogation room. Yes. So Olivia's in there with Sharon Hadley. She's very pretty. I've just kind of noticed because we finally are letting her speak. She asked Sharon about Sylvia, and just like everyone else, Sharon's telling them that Sylvia was a great girl, a hard worker. You should have seen her lead a fundraiser. It was magnificent. So Benson asks about Junior and Sylvia's marriage, and Sharon says that it was good, but that Junior wished that Sylvia would work less because he wanted to spend more time with her. Then Benson says, that doesn't sound like they were very happy. And Sharon says, a marriage is a working partnership consecrated by God. Once again... People can just smell that Olivia is unmarried on her. And they're like, please stop interjecting your opinion on marriage. Excuse me. And she hits back at them every fucking time because then she goes, so was it consecrated? Yes. So she basically asks if Sylvia is faithful. And Mrs. Hadley's like, she was. But she's looking down. She's like, Sylvia was faithful to us all. And Olivia's like, can you? That's a that's a weird thing to can you clarify that and mrs hadley's like well she loved the school and she loved her job and she loved her family and olivia triggered by the fact that she deigned like poke her about her own singleness is like do you know sylvia was two months pregnant which devastates mrs hadley i'm like that was a little savage it was savage by dior uh, Sharon pauses in that and Olivia says she needs to let go of whatever secret she's been holding on to at this point. She's basically like, jigs up, lady. Come on now. So Sharon says that Junior wouldn't have known about this pregnancy and she starts to ramble a little bit and it kind of culminates to, how could he have done this? And Benson's like, what did your son do? And Mrs. Hadley goes, not my son, my husband. He had an affair for two years with Sylvia. Ew. They're like, Detective Agrella, why didn't you pick up on this earlier? You're like, it's not real incest. It's just very gross. It's incest adjacent, but not really. <laughs> dun dun. Olivia walks in and I wrote, holy shit. What the fuck did she just say? She just like rambles and says names. It's Shakespeare in the park because she's basically going off about what a shisty motherfucker Cedar is. But she goes, he's a swaggart, a baker. And Amy Semple McPherson, I had to look up all these fucking names. They're all just like sh like shitty televangelists who basically made their fortune telling the quote unquote word of God and then all being involved in various degrees of shenanigans. Craig is on board with this now and he says he's going to he says he's going to try to convince Mrs. Hadley to stay at the station and if she refuses, he'll arrest her. He literally goes, uh, obstruction. It really doesn't matter. I was like, okay. 
it kind of does matter. Uh, but he says he basically needs to keep her there so she's a tip-off senior. Uh, which sounds like she kind of wouldn't, but whatever. Munch walks in. He goes, should I bring the little one, too? <laughs> Everyone hates Junior. Poor Junior. And Cragen's like, sure, keep them separated. Dead done. Senior's in there, and he says, for the last time, friends, I will not be saying anything until my lawyer is present. BNS are sitting pretty. They're not concerned right now. And they say, that's all right, because I'm sure your DNA will confirm your wife's story. And Senior's like, what story? <laughs> Pray tell. And they say they're not going to tell him until his lawyer's there. They've had enough. They're just fucking with everyone at this point. They're like, they're like, tee hee hee So Munch calls him outside, and Lil Briscoe is there, and he tells them that he found something on that tape, the security tape. He also kind of lets them know that people fuck in those elevators, it sounds like. I'd like to talk about this for a minute. He goes, you won't believe what goes down in those elevators. It's better than any video I've ever rented. This is why he's fired. He's doing pervy shit in the office. He's using that little software to create his perfect woman and wanking in the corner. He's watching these elevator videos, wanking in the video room. He gets fired for wanking. And I stand by my story. These are their stories. Briscoe shows him the stills of the footage, and he says that there were a couple of indicators as to what day it was because it wasn't timestamped. But the main indicator was that there was a wedding party there. I guess Saturday into Sunday, potentially. Yeah, I think it was Saturday. No, Sunday. The wedding party was there on Sunday. And he was able to tell this because they had these welcome baskets that each gift guest was given, as is customary. And the welcome baskets had these big bottles of, like, Maker's Mark in them. So he, like, looked at them immediately. So in one of the stills that he shows them, it's revealed that Junior is in the hotel elevator next to a guest holding one of those welcome baskets, indicating that it was Sunday. And it's not a flattering picture. He's like this and he's in the picture. He's like, yeah, he looks like (laughs) he looks like someone. My wife was killed in the hotel. But it's like, how do you know that, Junior? So this is significant, of course, because as we know, Junior wasn't allowed to come on this trip. He was left at home in Baltimore by his parents and his wife. Yes, he is supposed to be in Baltimore. (laughs) Dun dun bullpen. Now we're back in the bullpen. And apparently, Junior used a credit card, idiot, to get an express train ticket to New York City. And then he used his ATM card at 10.53 p.m. on Sunday night. So they have the pictures of him in the lobby and in the hotel elevator. And then they, I think there's an ADA here because they're all, they're explaining all this to some mysterious man. And they're like, okay, listen, this junior guy claimed to be in Baltimore the night of the murder, but clearly based on what, what we just said, he was in NYC. And Stabler's like, the Hadleys bought a failing college, and then when it went bankrupt, they resurrected it as a born-again university. And now it's possible Sylvia knew these books were cooked, and she was shaking down Hadley Sr. for the money. Or Stabler's like, or, naive Stabler, she was a true believer, and she was just disgusted and threatened to blow the whistle. I was like, it's definitely number one, Stabler. Or neither. (laughs) I know, I was kind of like, I don't think that's what happened. So the ADs, the ADA is like, where's the sex crime? <laughs> Why Thank are you, you guys here? And Olivia's like, well, she had sex before dying, but it wasn't really rape. They show this ADA, the DNA evidence, and he looks at it and goes, talk about Old Testament. <laughs> Craig says, I want both and says that they're going to need to get them to turn on each other. Craig goes, you know, take two polecats, put them in the same bag and then look out. I looked it up. I thought polecats were cats. Polecats are, according to Wikipedia, are more related to dogs than cats. And they look like ferrets or weasels. 
It looks exactly like a ferret. Yeah, they're like ferret, weasel, mink type animals. So he was just being old. He was like, yeah, you take two polecats, throw them in the same bag and look out. I know, because I mean, I feel like two cats in a bag would have the same reaction. But don't put any cats in any bags. Yeah, don't put animals in bags. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Interrogation room. So now we've got junior, senior, both of their lawyers are here. And Bensler. And, oh, and Cragen. Oh. No, 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 never mind. I'm sorry. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. No, no, no. Cragen's here. Yeah, Cragen's here. Oh. Because he whispers in Ben Jr.'s ear and he goes, we've got you in a big lie, Ben. It's the quietest Cragen's ever been. He took a page out of the Bensler book of space. <laughs> Close <and> talking. <laughs> he listened to our last episode and was like, oh, I want to get talked about, too. So Senior calmly interjects that Junior was in shock. Senior's lawyer goes to agree with and Craig and cuts them off. And he says he asks Ben why he can't speak for himself. He goes, first your daddy, then your lawyer. Why can't you ever speak for yourself? Craig and calls in Jeffries. So she pushes some papers at Junior and says that they pulled DNA from, quote, your wife's throttled neck and a piece of your skin from her fingernail. I'm pretty sure it's that, right? Or was it the other way around? I had to listen a few times. It sounded like they said they found her skin under his fingernails. And I was like, when did he That's not a couple take... days? Yeah. Oh, did he not like clean under his fingernails? Ew. He just doesn't clean them, period. Like even washing your hands. Dirty. Dirty. But anyway, his DNA was found on the murdered Sylvia. Junior goes, I don't understand. And then his lawyer, as is tradition in this episode, tells him to shut up. He's like, stop talking. Ben, stop talking. Jeffrey says she also has the results from the DNA inside Sylvia, also a match. And then Hadley Jr. is like, what are you talking about? They didn't because he's like, wait, why, why was there DNA inside yeah, well, her? Because I, I didn't have sex with my wife. <laughs> sure didn't. So Senior's like, this is an outrage. This is an invasion of our family. And Craigan's like, cool story. Hey, Jeffries, does this sperm DNA match Ben Jr.'s? And she's like... No, it doesn't. And then drops the folder in front of Ben Sr. Junior's slow and goes, what the hell's going on? Craig confirms that it's a match for Ben Sr. Ben Jr. goes, you! (laughs) One of the lawyers goes to cut for Junior and he puts his hand on his shoulder and Junior just like literally flails him off. Ben Sr.'s like, "Uh, can we continue this in private? And Craig just ignores him. He's like, would you like to give a statement now, Junior? Junior says that he had been suspicious that Sylvia was cheating for a while, but he couldn't take it anymore. And this particular trip, he decides he's going to go to New York City and basically investigate for himself, which is kind of like, it feels like a drunk decision. But Yeah, like he'd been knocking him back. And he's like, I'm just going to fucking catch her in the act. That's what I'm going to do. Fuck these papers. Give this person an A. So he went up to her room and he knocked on the door, but Sylvia didn't answer for five minutes, which just fueled him because he was like embarrassed. And she says that she had been sleeping and he goes, with who is what I wanted to know. And apparently she started laughing at him. And she says that accusing her of cheating was the most original thought he'd ever had. And Craigan's like, what? Why? That's mean. And I guess she liked to like use that put down on him a lot. And she goes, along with the only job I could get was at my daddy's college. That feels like an overkill for this guy. I'm not going to lie. It's like, also, you end up marrying him and then banging his dad. So, like, who are you talking to? Yeah. Made yourself, like, the Hermione Granger of the stupid little college running around doing fundraisers. But, like, 
I'd be like, the only reason you have a job at this college is because you're married to me. So Junior, he says that in a blind rage, because she's laughing at him and everything, he starts shaking her and she doesn't fight back. And in the middle of that, like after he was shaking her, she's not fighting back. And then he goes, I put my hands around her neck and I thought to myself, what am I doing? He chokes her and she, of course, dies. So he trails off into tears. Craig cuts off. For some reason, he feels bad. And he goes, we can finish this later. <laughs> I think he's like seen the abuse. Junior's gotten all episode and he's like... Okay, we've ruined this kid's life. I mean, I mean, he is a murderer. You can't murder even if your wife's a cheater. So the lawyer starts to lead Junior out and he turns to Senior and he's like, you always had to make everything right. And to think I came to you to fix this. So thus implying that after he committed the murder, he told Senior like what went down and Senior's like, oh, okay, I'll take care of this. Mrs. Hadley is outside because they open the door to let Junior out. Mrs. Hadley's there. They embrace. So Sharon walks in as Junior leaves and they shut the door and Senior looks up at her and he goes, oh, Sharon, did you see? Poor Ben. (laughs) And Craig is like, yeah, she knows a lot more than you think. And he's like, uh, well, she had nothing to do with this. And she's like. Bitch, are you protecting me again? Protecting me from the truth? Wow, that's so Christian. Is that why you made up the robbery story? And he's just like, Sharon. Yeah, he's like, Sharon, Sharon. He's like, that's not true. That's ludicrous. She's like, oh, well, then maybe you did it to make sure Ben didn't know she was pregnant. Which uh, he did not know. <laughs> he did not know. And then, and then Craig goes, it's not something we would have missed, doctor. <laughs> Like, but then senior to senior's defense, he's kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's not like, no, she's not. He's just like, what? And then Sharon goes, what are we going to call it, Ben? Son, Ben the third. <laughs> Ben's like, ah. <laughs> and so Sharon says that she regrets standing by and watching what senior did to junior. She says, fornicating with my son's wife, biblical, fathering his own grandchild. Detective Page goes, not really, but I- I'm going to let you go off, sis. Okay. <laughs> Fuck him. He's a bad guy. So then Sharon leaves and Senior's kind of the whole time he's trying to like, he's trying to maintain his composure. He's a very composed character, except for when he's like atheists and junkies. Um, and he's, he, you can tell he's not trying to lose his cool because he wants to maintain like this powerful person persona. Um, but he still looks absolutely floored. And um, executive producer Dick Wolf. Executive producer Dick Wolf. So at the beginning of this episode, they did a little disclaimer that said this is based on real events, but obviously is a fake story. So the real story is um, there was a Hillsdale College. And in 1999, the president of the college was revealed to have been carrying on a 19 year affair with his son's wife. That is I mean, at that point, just. Just get married like what, you know, and then this is sad. So there was no murder. Um, but once she was found out, and this was like a big Christian college, like everything they said about Midvale, besides like the weird financial stuff, applies to this Hillsdale. So like it, um, it was a big conservative college. Um, it was like held in really high regard among like conservatives. And then all this happened. And then once it was like the truth came out, she uh, took her own life, the the son's wife oh no okay oh that's awful so oh that's not good uh but yeah yeah well that was misleader i didn't feel bad for senior at the end but i also kind of like 
because he, he's ultimately the reason this even happened because Sylvia, you know, that's why she got killed because she was cheating and Junior knew. But I do got to give Senior props for he was not going to let his son go down like that. Now, he was protecting his son. Now, was it really protecting his own reputation because if they had learned about all this, obviously the money would have stopped flowing and people would have been like, whoa, that's like super duper immoral, like very immoral. Um, we, I guess we don't know. But I will say, I mean, he's like, eh, that's my son and I'm going to cover up a murder for him. Yeah. But like, I can't I, I'd be, I would be remiss to go off on a tangent for 40 minutes about how disgusting cheating is at the top of this episode and then be like, oh, wasn't that big a deal? And it was all just because like libidos. And they make a point in saying that they, they think that she didn't fight back because she felt guilty and almost felt like maybe she deserved whatever he did to her, which is kind of sad. Yeah. It's like, well, honey, OK, you cheated. You don't deserve to die. The greatest sex scandal of our lifetime as of this decade is Scandal. So um, but I like how I take every opportunity. I'm like Scandal. It, it was a big tie in. It, I mean, it kind of is. Like, it's, it's cheating. This is betrayal. It was really gross. No. So let's put the murder aside. Like, no, no one died. But it's still really obviously it's really devastating. Look what it can do to people. Look what it can do. So, guys. Our lesson, our lesson today is don't cheat. I know you are going to, but listen to aunties, Brittany and Paige. Just don't, just don't cheat. Don't cheat. Take it from me. You regret it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave it there because that could mean anything. Oh, mi- mysterious. No. <laughs> I, once again, you know me. I'm like, oh, what's our next episode? I didn't look it up. So obviously it's season one, episode 18. I think it's called Cyber. I think it's called Cyber or Chat Room. It's something like yeah. that because it's about a chat room. Ooh, as I throw my phone. I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's Chat Room. I think this one's going to be real hinky because <laughs> it's hinky. early. Well, just early aughts people trying to talk about technology always just sounds beyond. I just want it to be funny. I don't want it to be sad. Guess who I think might be in the next episode? Wait, 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 wait. Oh my. Maureen. So, Yay! Oh yeah, it's the one where she sees someone get killed. Yay! Is and it or Maureen. is it? Uh, I, I hope I didn't. I think she's in the episode, and now I'm like SBU chat room. Well, that's okay. Let's Either way, I'm so Broderick's happy. That means we're gonna get more stabler stuff. We've been dry. I know. Uh, uh well, happy, uh, happy Tuesday, but also happy Saturday to Brittany and I. Uh, I'm gonna go clean my apartment. Thanks for listening as usual, everyone. Catch you later, squad. Uh, Bye. Bye.